Teen dies in a seedy motel in Fort Francis, Ontario, after a fentanyl overdose. 300 workers at a lodge for Imperial Oil Workers are facing layoffs because they rejected a pay cut. Cops injure a teen while trying to arrest her in Whitehorse. Family announces that man tasered by PA police is brain dead. And 47 bodies have been exhumed in Kenya, believed to be people who were part of a religious cult. Good morning. It's Monday, April 24th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. Today's first story is devastating. Trey Windigo, a teenager who is in the care of Wichi Ituin Family Services, overdosed and died in a motel in Fort Francis, Ontario. He had been given fentanyl. His death will trigger a coroner's investigation because he was a child in care, reports Kenneth Jackson from APTN. Windigo moved from home to home before his death, usually having the arrangement break down not too long after he arrived. By 2021, when he was about 13, he messaged a former foster parent to say that the agency didn't seem to care about where he was anymore. And so he was living with the mother of his girlfriend at the time. He told his former foster parent he was using hard drugs and was worried about overdosing. Jackson's report is very detailed and it's worth reading. The executive director of Wichi, Lori Rose, said that, quote, this agency did everything humanly possible to protect the youth that you insist upon exposing to media treatment. We grieve his loss. We demand that you respect his passing in a manner that does not sensationalize your campaign, unquote. Jackson is one of the few journalists in this country that spends a lot of time reporting on how child service agencies are treating youth, especially Indigenous youth. Data out of British Columbia related to overdose deaths show that Indigenous people are dying at rates that are way higher than the percentage of the population. Despite just being 3.3% of the population, they accounted for 15.2% of overdose deaths. Winnego was in Ontario and, of course, not caught by these statistics, but there's not any reason to believe that the statistics in Ontario are all that different. And now to Wasapu Creek Lodge, which is north of Fort McMurray. About 300 workers who work there are at risk of losing their jobs. The reason? They refused to accept a pay cut. The lodge is owned by Civio and provides lodging and services to the workers employed by Imperial Oil. The workers are represented by UFCW Local 401, and they voted at more than 90% to reject the company's offer. This is not the first time that Civio has demanded pay cuts from their workers. A few years ago, the company asked the workers to agree to take a pay cut, and they did. They had felt pressured to do so due to the drop in oil prices, reports Karina Zapata for CBC News. Civio is a company that provides services specifically for oil and gas sites around the world. In their year-end report, they posted profits of $2.2 million. They blamed a net loss of profits in the final quarter of $13 million, in part, quote, from $5.7 million in costs associated with impairments on assets in Australia and the U.S. during the fourth quarter of 2022. The statement continues by saying, despite inflationary headwinds in 2022, Civio reported strong results. We operated safely while achieving higher revenues and adjusted EBITDA compared to 2021. We also generated significant free cash flow and substantially reduced our total debt balance as well as our net leverage ratio, unquote. 
quote, in case you're not someone that reads a ton of these reports, that was a whole lot of very long words and acronyms to say that they are not concerned about their bottom line. This is not in the CBC article, though it provides some context. While the profits at Civio are not exorbitant, they are making profits. And I think that this is a really important part of the story, which is unfortunately not included in the CBC News report. The company posting profits is still looking to extract money from their workers through pay cuts. It's pretty gross. And it's also worth noting that Civio is completely tied to Imperial Oil. They are the ones that are providing Imperial Oil workers a place to live while they work for Imperial Oil. And as I reported, I think last week, Imperial Oil's quarterly income at the end of 2022 was $1.7 billion. Next to Whitehorse, where last week an Inuk Dene teenager was roughed up by the RCMP. Police had stopped her for public drinking and they planned to put her in a cell to sober up, which, let's be clear, is an absolutely messed up way to deal with a drunk teenager. Either the teenager needs hospital or they need to go home. A jail cell is completely inappropriate. But in the process of placing her under arrest, the police actions resulted in her kneecap being dislocated, her ACL being torn, and muscles around her kneecap also being torn, reports APTN's Sarah Connors. Her mother told APTN that she questions the amount of force that was being used by the police with her daughter. The girl needed surgery and was brought to the hospital after the incident. She was not actually charged with anything. The police also tried to contact the girl's father, despite there being a no-contact order in place. Now, just a quick update about Bowden Umferville, the man who was tasered and pepper-sprayed by the Prince Albert police after they stopped his vehicle a few weeks ago. His family has announced that he has been declared brain-dead due to the violence of the assault by police. His mother is devastated, and they are demanding answers. There is a special investigation that has been called into this incident. Next to a report from the Globe and Mail this morning, they are reporting that the University of Waterloo is telling researchers that they are not required, quote, to talk to CSIS agents or give them access to faculty equipment if approached by the spy agency for information on joint research projects with scientists from foreign countries such as China, unquote. I'm not exactly sure why this is being reported now because we've actually the university has said that this has happened in the past and it scared researchers and put a chill on their work. Nick Manning from the university said, quote, we want our researchers to know their rights. Our institution has an obligation to protect that information within bounds of Canadian law. Now, what the Globe and Mail should have done after this quote is provide to readers right away what the law says. What, what rights do people actually have to deny access to their work or their research or their space if CSIS comes knocking? It, they don't say. Instead, they talk with someone who used to be an executive vice president with NSERC. NSERC is one of the tri-granting councils that funds university research in Canada. And this person, for some reason, claims that, quote, stricter national security guidelines are necessary to protect Canadian research, unquote. Margaret McQuaig Johnson said that the University of Waterloo is, quote, the number one target of China to gain access to our most advanced technology. And so that puts them on the front line of helping our researchers to protect their own work and protect Canadian technology, especially as it may be used by the Chinese military, unquote. 
The article doesn't mention anything about how research actually works, though it does make it sound like China has its fingers all over top secret military research in Canada. If you read it as someone who has no contact with the world of science and technology research, you would get a very scary picture from this article. It also mentions that research grant applications are, quote, being sent to Canada's national security agencies for assessment under Titan rules to safeguard intellectual property from authoritarian governments that are deemed to pose an unacceptable risk and are denied funding, unquote. This scrutiny is now being extended to SHRC applications. SHRC is the Social Sciences and Humanity Research Granting Council. So one of the things that I get so frustrated about when I read these articles is that it never talks about how this research is public. It is public. The research becomes public. There is no top secret research because scientists have to publish their research findings and that becomes public. If the Globe and Mail wanted to actually write this story properly, the main story would be that there is now interference into Canadian research by the Canadian state and the Canadian intelligence apparatus. CSIS should play absolutely no role in determining what science should or shouldn't be funded. They are unaccountable, wholly outside the scientific community, and they are not equipped to make these kinds of decisions. This is an attack on academic freedom, and it completely misses how scientific research and discovery is toiled upon in labs, published, then remixed and republished, and people build on other people's work around the world. There is no closed off publishing. It is public information. But that does not come through at all in this article by Robert Fife and Stephen Chase. Their article is missing a ton of information that I can see, though I have the benefit of knowing how academic research works in this country because I live with an academic researcher and I have to hear about it all the time. So beware of these stories and get really, really, really skeptical of the fact that an organization like CSIS has its hands now in research funding. And Chase and Fife talked to someone who's had his research grants denied because of national security concerns. The researcher obviously is saying that this is completely unfair and unreasonable. And finally, to Kenya and a bizarre story that is unfolding related to a possible cult and mass death. Kenyan police have exhumed 47 bodies near the town of Malindi, The bodies were recovered near where 15 members of the Good News International Church were rescued. They were in the Shakahola Forest, and after they were rescued, authorities started to realize that there were many bodies to exhume. They are investigating a preacher who directed his followers to starve to death. Paul Mackenzie Netanje is in custody, and they have so far identified 58 graves. Those are your headlines for Monday. April 24th. Gosh, it just feels like April is galloping away from us. I'm Nora, and I hope you have a great day.